Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio and the world. It is Vegas Vince on a raggedy $4 cell phone. Because like a jerk, I scheduled this show thinking it was Monday closed and we have a packed bar. So, the hell with it. I'm outside. I've got a phone that might have five minutes to charge. It might have five days. But it doesn't matter because we got the legendary J.F. Jim Straw. And I don't know how long this theme music is going to play because they changed the interface on me. But I'll be back in a second. Vegas Vince. Sales of marketing behind the eight ball, baby. This, show, this one's legendary. The $400 million man in the house. Back in a minute. music we got going here, Jim. Oh, yeah. Boy, I, I, I have a jam switchboard, and uh, I got the jukebox playing, I got a packed bar, and I'd love to know which one James, I hope that James J. Jones wanted to call in, and I can't remember what North Carolina is, what the area code for North Carolina is, Charlotte. Anybody could tell me what Charlotte, North Carolina area code was, just so I know it. Um, I think it's 205. Anyway, you can tell me what it is, Jim? I would. Oh, wait, I, I, I can look it up right here. It, no, that's Alabama. Well, then there's North Carolina. I just want to make sure. I got so many people that are on the line here that uh, I want to make sure that uh, 772321, give me a moment, people. You know how we do things on this show, disarray. Oh, my God, I got a 610 number. That, I guarantee you, is an ex-girlfriend shaking me down for money. That's a Pennsylvania number. Okay. I am going to start off by uh, actually giving you guys a real sponsor. It's not Roscoe's Rib Check. I'm Redondo. Um, although you still can get free check cashing between the hours of midnight and six, and you still can get the tastiest ribs in South Beach. Um, unfortunately, due to some more legal issues, uh, Roscoe's is unavailable for sponsorship at this time. I want to thank Fletcher Cigars. Um, Jim and I put out a WSO recently sold out as if like there was any question. Um, and they sent me a box 
engraved, laser engraved, says Vegas Vance, all the cigars, custom made. Uh, it's, you can actually find them at FletcherCigars.com. I want to thank Roger as one of the classiest acts. We got some classy people on this uh, WSO gym. I kept thinking we were going to get guys that wanted girls jumping out of cakes. And instead, oh, yeah. we got corporations. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, uh, I, used, I used to like the light Cuban cigars. I had a friend that used to send me a box of them on my birthday every year. He's in jail. He's in jail. Well, you know, they're, if they're going to throw people in jail for Cuban cigars, we got we got problems in this country because I can think of a lot worse. Um, guys, Jim Jim is on a speakerphone. It may not be the best quality, but that leads me into a little introduction, and then I'm going to do something I promise to do every week, and I never do it, and that's shut my mouth and try to let the guests talk. You know, I am half Italian. We like to talk, but... Um, it reminds me of the simple things in life and stuff. I just attended a funeral of, uh, as some of you know, of Miguel Diaz, who is a, uh, 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 unfortunately was a, a partner and a friend uh, with the ASI Chemical Company here, manufactured, uh, came over from Cuba, uh, graduated uh, with some pretty impressive people like Roy Firestone and Andy Garcia, turned nothing into a multi-million dollar business, and had all the toys, had all the money, but I think what I'll remember him most about is the fact that while he was here, he enjoyed it, and he gave. And um, when I went to the when I went to the service, I was stunned. Uh, there must have been over 350 people in a church that sat 250, uh, all colors, all races, all I mean religions. Uh, it, it, it was amazing. Um, Miguel was kind of boisterous and this and that. I heard story after story about the money this man gave away and didn't tell anybody about, like starving dogs. He wasn't even a dog lover. But one day he went up to the vet and said, how much does it cost to get these dogs fed and taken care of? The guy said, well, probably eight or nine grand. Miguel handed him $14,000. I mean, he never, and he never publicized it, never told anybody uh, you know, it's kind of like the stories you hear about Sinatra. A lot of people remember, oh, he had mob ties and he was a womanizer. And they forget that there were many times that he'd sit on the couch and read about a family that was in need and tell his publicist, hey, send this guy $20,000. Don't tell him it's for me. And I think the point is there is good in everyone. And in the case of this uh, gentleman, I have never seen more people come up and talk about someone uh, um, who really showed class. Class isn't showing your money and telling everybody. Um, it's doing things, and, and, you know, they find out about it later. And I uh, love him. I miss him. And uh, the show goes on. And 57 years is too young to go. But I will say this, he got a lot packed into those 57 years. And uh, I'd rather live to be 57 and say I pretty much did it all than live to be 100 and say I did nothing. So I'm going to leave everybody with that. And it leads me into to something else, and that's uh, the gentleman I got on, Jim Straw. Um, a lot of you marketers really need to learn your history. Uh, if, you don't, if you don't understand the foundation of how this industry works um, and you don't, you don't get it and you're just – on this constant search for this push-button method of making money, 
you may hit a winner here or there, but you're never going to have any long-standing longevity. You're never going to make it 50 glorious years. You're never going to generate in excess of $400 million. You guys go gaga when Frank Kerr makes a million dollars in a day or two. Uh, Jim Straw made over a million dollars in less than a month back when there was no computer. Um, I personally think that would be a little tougher. Um, Jim is one of these guys who I call the last the Mohicans. And um, it is, uh, you know, I, I can't, I'm not going to spend an hour telling you what an honor it is to have him on my show. Um, I basically forced him to do it because Jim has turned down a lot of people, and it's not anything personal. He just doesn't do interviews. And as Brian McLeod once said, I have a special gift to just saying, hey, you're doing the friggin' interview whether you like it or not. And I don't think I worded it that way, but Jim and I got good rapport. And um, I think if you guys pay attention you're going to pick up some gems from a man who has not just written about it, but he's done it. He wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Um, you know, he didn't inherit Big Daddy's money like De Donald Trump and then go bankrupt. And, you know, uh, that's a whole other story. But my point is hard work, and it all boils down to the basics, and I think if anything else, I want you guys, this could be one of the final times you ever hear from a man who is legitimately, universally beloved and respected by his peers. You find somebody says something bad about Jim Straw, that guy's probably an asshole, pardon my French, but it's true. Um, Alan says of the warrior form, who's like Howard Hughes, literally jumped out, out of wherever he was the day Jim appeared on the warrior form. I mean, nobody, nobody ever hears from Alan. Um, I, I have yet to meet a marketer that's worth five cents that doesn't respect and revere this man because he doesn't just write about it. What he writes about are things he's actually done. And he has sold everything from friggin' fishing lures to wigs. Good God, wigs. Oh, well, there must have been some money in it. Um, and, and I want to just leave it at that. I think the main thing everybody's got to remember is sales has not changed. Not since Claude Hopkins came out with, you know, scientific advertising is required reading. I think Jim would agree with me. Nothing has changed. Uh, I also think Jim would agree with me that too many of you think internet marketing is a business when it is not a business. It is a medium. Um, and I also think this is going to be one of the few times in history you're going to hear about a man who's outlived 12 doctors, probably been, you know, through several presidents, has done it offline to the tune of millions, and has done it online to the tune of millions with a website that we affectionately call the world's ugliest website um, that generates more money in a month than most of you could even imagine. And trust me, I'm privy to the numbers. So without further ado... I could go on forever. J.F. Jim Straw, um, we had a good time. I got to catch you. I want to thank you for lunch, and I want to tell you what an honor it is, sir, to have you on my show. Oh, I'm glad to be here, Vegas. Oh, I'll tell you, I've never heard that word asshole used so much since Frank Sinatra called me an arrogant asshole. 
That was a long time ago. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> ah, I love them. I, I didn't know you swore. Oh, me? No, I don't swear. I just cuss a lot. <laughs> uh, you and I, uh, I, I, I'll be honest with you, there was a speaker, I'm not going to say who, because I don't like to, I usually would, but this isn't about other people, it's about us, or you, but I had to, there was a certain speaker, right, you know, I got the early MS, and I was, you, you could tell my legs, when the rain comes, I, I, I was in some pain, and I needed to get the hell out of there anyway, my legs were cramping up. But I'm listening to a guy talk about what a great industry the the healthcare and vitamin industry is. And I'm just looking at you, and it's like we're rolling our eyes at each other because I'm thinking to myself, okay, are you going to get to the part about the people that are going to jail and people that are, you know, the like the – you know, FDA cracking down and, you know, even good, you know, there's there been a lot of marketers, uh, go uh, Don LaPree, Perry Belcher. I mean, not necessarily even bad guys. I don't know. I, I, I liked Perry. But to, to give that kind of advice out, I thought, was crazy. And then the other thing he said was, don't look for a niche market. Go for a broad market that everybody's in. Well, that might be good if you got millions of dollars, but I didn't think that was good advice either. And, it's hard for me to criticize someone that probably has a lot more money than I do, but when I hear stuff like that, it was kind of funny to watch you just roll your eyes, and then I know when I first walked in, somebody was saying something that really pissed you off, um, and you just said, oh, it sounds like a this or that, and that's when we headed out to lunch. So you're sure not shy about sharing your opinion, and I like that about you. Well, hey, the truth is the truth, and you can't evade the truth. As a matter of fact, the most successful people I know are probably the most truthful when it comes down to their material. And as far as vitamins, if you want to get vitamins, there's an outlet. I think it's vitamins.com. But you can buy any of the vitamins you want with your own private label on them. And people who sell them by multi-level, which is primarily their method of sales, they're expanding the prices beyond reality. You can buy them at the grocery store cheaper than you can buy them from one of those guys. Exactly. And, uh, you know, they don't come with all the miracle claims of cures and this and that. Um, a lot of these marketers should get, uh, you know, and I know one of them, I'm not going to say his name because he's a big fan of yours, but uh, I, I, I've been saying it for two years. Uh, my friend Brian McLeod, who's, a, who's just a brilliant copywriter, he predicted three years ago that these guys were going to start falling like dominoes. Uh, started with uh, Glenn, the guy who does the uh, tax liens, and Jeff Paul, and uh, you know now Don LaPree, and the, the list goes on and on, and Perry and all these, but these infomercials, um, it's just, I, I don't know if it's greed, I don't know if they think they found some loophole, but you're right on the vitamins. Um, you know, marketing the world's greatest vitamin that you're probably paying a buck for, maybe coming out of China, who knows, and t basically turning it into some sort of MLM, it's kind of a recipe to put some heat on yourself, I think. I don't think it was good advice to Guy Gay, that's just my opinion. Well, it's it's not t just today, Vin. It's it goes back a long ways. I remember multi-level marketing selling vitamins forty years ago. Are we talking about Glenn Turner? Because I have a different view on Glenn Turner. I I, I think Glenn Turner 
personally, now you know Glenn Turner. I have not met him, but I have heard enough, and I did read the biography. I think there was a lot of Southern justice involved. I think Glenn made too much money. I think Glenn took a, a shitty hand of cards life dealt him and did the very best he could with it. And I don't recall too many people saying Glenn Turner screwed them over. Maybe well, I'm wrong. Glenn, Glenn Turner's a phenomenal character, but he had a lot of bad advice, and he had some very notorious people working for him. When you mean notorious, are we talking like uh, spaghetti boys, or are we just talking about bad uh, advice? Bad advice type of people. I okay. got into his Coscott marketing back uh Oh, back when it first started, I guess, because at that time I owned a chain of wig shops. And what I did, uh, after listening to it, I noticed that the cosmetics had a little pull to them, mink oil. So I bought the hmm. counter displays for all my wig shops with the little mink that the women could pet and know that they were dealing with mink oil cosmetics. I sold about $1,500 worth of cosmetics the first week. And so I called down to uh, Coscott uh, Cosmetics and placed the order for them. They couldn't ship them because they were using all their cosmetics to make up sample cases for their multi-level marketing dealers. Right. It's funny, later, years later, I believe Gary Halbert actually put out a product on emu oil, which is very interesting. What I was, actually, was that his diet program? No, it was a product on the, he did a, I actually caught it on YouTube, it's an interview where he's extolling the virtues of emu, I think it's E-M-U, it's a, like an ostrich, um, it might have been the Borgnine thing, the anti-aging thing, or the one he did with Vicky Lamada, you never know with Gary, Gary was not only a great copywriter, he was a great, he could weave a great story, um, and uh that's very interesting because I've heard about the mink oil, too. Um, where did you start, Jim? Because you, you grew up. Just give us a little background of where you grew up and kind of the worth ethic. Because it sounds to me like your dad was a pretty practical man and gave you some good advice. I just kind of, a lot of times in order to figure out where the hell we are now, we've got to find out where we came from. So a lot of people um, might, I'd like, I'd like them to know your story. Just I know we can't condense 50 glorious years in this show, but, you you know, you started out, I know, you have one thing that I've noticed every great marketer I've had on this show has in common, and that is door-to-door selling, every single one of them. Uh, well, I started, I, I started off reading the uh, ads in the back of comic books. I was born in Oklahoma, raised in Missouri, where I had two brothers and two sisters born, and then okay. we moved to Kansas, outside of Wichita. Dad was a Boeing aircraft worker and a sharecropper. We owned 10-acre, poor, dirt little farm and sharecropped about 1,200 acres. But uh, <laughs> I read so the... you were literally the son coming. of a sharecropper. <laughs> Pardon me? Oh, yeah, well, aren't the best people? <laughs> but wow. anyway, I grew up in a... It was actually a tar paper shack just off the railroad track, like the mm -hmm. song says. I grew up next to the railroad, and I guess that... Gave me kind of a wayward wind feeling. But anyway, mm -hmm. I read the ads in the back of the comic books. When I was nine years old, I started knocking on doors and selling anything I could sell. I sold everything from uh, Christmas cards to later grit newspaper. And 
I was one of the first ones to sell TV Guide. I sold it wow. house to house. It was back then. It was fifteen cents a week, and the state wow. of Kansas, the state of Kansas, required that I charge an extra one penny, sixteen cents a week, and pay over to the state those pennies. They're shaking oh. down a kid. <laughs> oh, <laughs> down down a kid. Then I carried the early morning newspaper for about oh, what eight years or so. Got up in the morning every morning at four thirty and. Rolled the newspapers. We had a town with a thousand population. We had to count some wow. chickens to, in order to get a thousand. But I had <laughs> over two hundred people that I delivered the newspaper to every morning. Why? Because I went out and knocked on doors and sold them subscriptions to the newspaper. Did and you make collect- tips back then, Jim? I mean, was there tips involved? I mean, like did I mean I? I remember having a paper route. It didn't last too long. Uh, so, but I know that you know tips were part of it. Uh, so when you, I mean, did you uh, were you paid a flat fee, or did you just provide some extraordinary service and every now and then get a little extra few pennies in your pocket? Well, I didn't get any tips as such, but I got to know and have a relationship with a lot of old rich men in town, and those old rich men got a fancy to me because I was a young feller trying to do something and they observed that, you know, hey, I had those qualities to be an entrepreneur, so they taught me what they used to do, how they did it, and I learned from all of them. That's what the young people today are missing. They don't have old men, old rich businessmen around that they can call on. No, because they know everything. They know everything already. The and the guys they know it all from are guys that you taught or mentored in many cases. That's a funny thing to me. Most likely. Matter of fact, a I mean, lot of the a lot of the current consultants out there studied at my uh knees. As a matter of fact, Dan Kennedy in one of his articles said he used to sit in knee pants studying what I had written. <laughs> if I thought he was in knee said, pants, I would have pointed and giggled. Well, it's funny because uh, Dan's older than I am, and I was 13 when I bought my first product. But the funny thing about Dan is um, Dan's kind of got a lot of the Gary shtick, Gary Halbert shtick. You know, he's very no-nonsense. I really like Dan. I really like him. Uh, I I love Jay Abraham, but I see a lot more theory coming from him. I have no doubt he's as great as he professes to be, and, and he, he obviously knows his stuff. I always got a lot more practical advice from Dan, but there's a testimonial from him up there that said something to the effect, uh, when people go over to your site, there's a section called um, Most Respected Man on the Internet, and I think the last testimonial reads to the effect, there's no amount of money I would not pay to pick this man's brain for an hour. And that is, you know, considering that Dan doesn't have a whole lot Let's be honest. I mean, Dan. Dan's got you know. Dan doesn't have a whole lot of good to say about a whole lot of fellow marketers because I don't think he's impressed with many of them. And you are one of the rare exceptions. And uh, it was a pretty nice testimonial. So several one from Mark Joyner. A lot. I mean, a lot of. I mean, my God. I mean, I, it, it, it's very interesting. Um, I know you and I talked about pricing back in the day. Um, you know, I I actually pulled out an old wrestling magazine. From like 1964, um, and I and I, you know, I'm looking at the Atlas ads. Me and Brian talked about that the Sea Monkeys 
as a kid, I was sort of the same way. I also have the fallacy of the National Enquirer. Oh, my God, 2 million subscribers. If I write something and only 1% buy it, I'm going to be rich. You know, that fallacy, I think, a lot of us had as kids um, that were interested in mail order. But did you have any particular weird – I know, like, there's Joe Tosman had some weird stuff out there, the ant farm. I'm not sure if that was his or he licensed it. But did you have any funky stuff that ever appeared in those comic books that was business unrelated, you know, unrelated to business? Gadgets or toys or? No, I never sold anything like that, not not through the mail. Primarily, how it started in the mail order, I wrote an article uh, I was advertising in wig magazines uh, for my various wig operations. How the hell did and you one of the wig? editors called me and said, hey, could you write us an article on the point of, point of purchase display and sale of wigs? So right. I dashed out a quick article and sent it off to the magazine. It was published. There was a guy over in New Orleans by the name of Norman Mansfield, known as the King of Wigs. Uh, he used to call me the Emperor. But Norman called me up and said, hey, who wrote that article for you? And I said, well, I did. He said, well, would you write those art articles for me and let me put my name on them using my advertising? He said, I'll pay you $1,500 a piece for them. Now, so what I time period was like this? That. Yeah, so I wrote what like time? 10 or 11 articles for him. I didn't know back then that people would pay you for writing Jim, what time period are we talking about? Because for you chicks out there listening, Jim's talking about what the modern-day version of the weave is, I think. Uh, we're talking wigs. But <laughs> what time period? Are we talking the 60s, 70s? What, what, what? Oh, it's back in the 60s. Okay, so wig shop. So basically, you came up with a way to – and, you know, this is something like guys I even like Azamayo talk about – a lot. When you come up with a system that actually helps somebody sell something, that's something that's worth gold because you can apply it to another industry. You can license it to a non-competing wig shop. And it sounds like you were writing articles that were dealing more with the best way to market these wigs. Am I correct? Oh, yeah. You were writing. Uh, yeah. It was point of purchase type marketing. Point of right. Type the type of shelving and all of that that was used in the wig shops. How the hell then did you get into John Feinstein suggested that, <laughs> hey, you've done a lot of things, why don't you write about them? So I began writing some little reports on how to make money in various things that I had done before. And right. I think there was something like around 27 of them all together. And I put them in a booklet, put out a sales piece on them, and Alan called me up and said, hey, Jim, there's two people in the world that understood what you said, me and you. <laughs> he said, because advertising has to be understood at the 12-year-old level. If the person right. is 12-year-old can't understand it, it's too complicated. So I broke my reports down into one a month. It was one sheet of paper, front and back. Cost yep. me eight cents in postage to mail. It sold for ten dollars a year, and I put out a mailer and got twenty-three percent response on my first mailer. I hate you. Twenty-three percent. Matter of fact, that uh, I've got seventeen of those reports in the free report on my website for all of the people who want right. to read about things that I did as a kid. 
And that's the thing about it. These are things you actually did. I, I mean, I remember you mentioned somewhere um, you were doing, like, bird dog feeds uh, when you were in the Army, I believe, where you would, uh, um, you know, go up to the guy with the business card, right, and he would offer you 25 bucks if you sent some of the GIs over to buy a car from him. Am I correct on that? Or Oh, yeah, yeah, but I was a finder even before that because yeah. when I was a kid, I used to – I knew all the farmers in the county. I worked for most of them at one time or another, hauling their right. hay or whatever. But because I knew them, if Farmer Brown had a tractor for sale and Farmer Smith needed a tractor, I'd introduce Farmer Smith to Farmer Brown. They'd sell the tractor, and I'd get a commission on it. But I didn't know it was finder's fees. And then when I was in the Army, right. of course, I I found out that uh, the used car dealers would pay a bird dog fee if I could bring in a GI that wanted to buy a car. So I drove them around in my car. The GIs paid for my gas in my car to haul them around. Right. And then I made a, a little fee on the cars that uh, were sold to them. And then uh, then I read a book about weird businesses. It had a little chapter on finder's fees. Was this and I George Haling's? Was this, well, I'm sorry to interrupt. Was this the George Haling's book? Cause it's funny. James A. Jones told me uh, it took him 10 years to do his first project. And um, it was based on a book of weird, unusual business ideas. He didn't think it was very good, but it kind of was the nexus or the, you know, the, the spark that started him. I'm just curious uh, if you remember what the hell the book was. No, I really don't. It was, uh, I went back and I wrote my report on Finder's Fees, the Finder's Fee Guide. There's over 70,000 copies of it been sold since 19... What, 1978, I believe, when I wrote it? Seven, seventy-eight, yeah. Somewhere along there, I wrote the... A hundred bucks a piece, and uh, at a time when nobody sold anything that high. <laughs> yeah, no, as a matter of fact, uh, Dean Duvall told me it'll never sell. That's too big a price. Of course, Dean has an an art, a uh, how-to <laughs> book now for $10,000, or did have before he had his stroke. Yeah, I used to remember Dean. Dean had, they call him Dax, and he had the dark shades. Any of you old, um, old Mark or Scott, not even old, even guys in their 40s who remember Dean Duvall, he was also a writer, wasn't he? Oh, he yes. Books, uh, like novels and stuff. He was an interesting character. He had over 100 titles out there at one time. Now, he had a stroke January 2010. Uh, I get emails from him every couple, two or three weeks anyway, telling me about it. He's had brain surgery and everything else. So yeah. he's closed up all of his publications. They're not even available anymore. That's too bad. How's your blood pressure? Uh, I love it. Jim, has, you know, that's why I love you. Jim, Jim's sitting there while on the bed, and he's checking his blood pressure, and he said, that's a little high. I said, well, do you take blood pressure medication? He said, no. He said, I'll, take, I'll sit here, and I'll figure out what the hell's making my blood pressure go up. And might have been me. Who knows? <laughs> I can irritate the. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as I leave, it went down. But I loved your answer. You said, "I'll figure out what the hell it is, and it'll go down." And uh, that's uh, that's Jim Straw for you. You're obviously uh, made it home. Well, just Unless remember, <laughs> the mind is stronger than the body. Yeah, yeah. And we're not allowed to mention how old your mom is. But uh, I really, really, I hope this doesn't. Uh, I hope this doesn't get me into trouble, but Jim made a comment, uh, God, I think it was about six months ago. He said, I can't do say whatever. I'm going to be gone, Vinny. i got to go visit my mom. And I thought, oh, that's sad. He's going to go visit his mom, you know, at her gravesite. 
And I find out later that wasn't the case. You were actually going to visit your mom. <laughs> and she calls and, me a couple times each week, even now. And she, uh, she I says, just, oh, well, just keep sucking air. That's what she does. You, got, you must have some good genetics in that family somewhere because uh, uh, that's um, people thought I was joking. And I said, why would I make something up like that? I said, he's going to see his mom. You know, I oh, like, yeah, well, back when I when Dolores and I were first married, mm-hmm. uh, my mother used to ask Dolores, well, when is Jim going to get a job? And yeah. Dolores would tell her, <laughs> well, we, we own a business. And Mom would say, well, who writes his paycheck? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't show in a bank or something at the time? I mean, wasn't that the, was that the, or the coal mine? Or you own, what have you own some funky, I still have asked it three times, but it's, you the, you, you got into the wig, the wig business, which is, is kind of funny to me, although I know there was money in it. Uh, what about the coal mine? How the hell did you get into coal mines? Well, it was an investment. It was an investment, oh, it was an investment type deal. Okay. Yeah, and uh, oh, speaking of banks, when I bought the bank, I told my mother that I bought a bank, and she says, oh, Jim, people don't own banks. Yeah, I love it. People don't own banks. Yeah, no, you know, and that's and that's typical. That's something my grandma probably a lot of that's depression era mentality and stuff. That's something my grandmother would say. She she oh, went yeah. through the depression, yeah, and had all the money at the end she could spend, and still was very frugal. Um, I think you know, I think if you go through it, it's, it gets ingrained, and it's sad to see. I mean, uh, people should be able to go out and enjoy their life. And uh, um, my grandfather his 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 life's ambition was to die at the racetrack. Uh, well, you know, once he had grandma taken care of, he said, "I want to die broke at the racetrack. That'd be a good way to go out because I can't take it with me." Um, and <laughs> unfortunately, he didn't make it. But uh, it, I liked his I liked his theory on that. Um, let's talk about uh, something that I, I I have to admit the yellow pages are not today the most effective medium in the world anymore. Um, simply because, quite frankly, it's way faster just to jump in um, online. But my question to you is, I still believe the Yellow Pages are one of the uh, golden opportunities out there for that and the Sunday paper for for a couple reasons. It tells you where the money is. because Just because not as many people might be using them, those prices haven't dropped that much. And uh, you used to be able to go into any town and make yourself – Five, ten, fifteen thousand, uh, just out of the yellow pages where your wife was unpacking the bags, and this is no joke. Thank you. Oh yeah, yeah, I used to do it all the time. Matter of fact, I could probably still do it today if I was. Well, let me tell you, getting old ain't fun, but mm-hmm. being old and rich has its advantages. I don't have to chase the rainbows anymore. But back in the day, I used to carry a briefcase filled with all of the various items that I had available, anything from heavy equipment on down to sundry items. We'd get into a town, I'd pick up the yellow pages, and let me tell you the secret. Every seller is also a buyer. Right, Uh, that's the key. Cans of pork and beans don't grow on trees. A grocery store has to buy them somewhere. Same way with shoe stores and all of that. So I would simply look through the yellow pages, find a seller that was selling something that I had in my briefcase, and I'd call him up and make him an offer. And like well, I say, I could sales, is it, James? Uh, Jim, excuse me. It's it's, it's the, takes you out of the sales business 
and basically puts you in the delivery business. That's it. You don't really have to sell if you have something that you know the buyer buys. They buy it all the time. They buy it in quantity, and you've got it at a price they can't beat. That's how I made my a lot of my money. Not quite Let's talk about the million. That, 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 again, we've talked about before, I thought was one of the greatest pieces of advice ever, is you made most of your money from a very small, tight list of known buyers. Um, but I wanted to get into something else here. Um, you know, one of the one of the deals you did, like I said, nowadays, you know, again, so many people think they they teach marketing ass backwards. First of all, everybody ought to go read scientific advertising and learn what the hell metrics mean. Um, and if you want to break metrics down in your words, please go ahead. You're probably more qualified. But I'm talking about the you know the cost of a customer and the conversion and um, and I want you to really drive home something we missed on the last little video interview about the difference between a direct response marketer who does direct mail and an Internet marketer. You can be one but not the other, or vice versa. You had a great point on that. Well, you can make a fortune in mail order without ever knowing anything about the Internet. But believe me, you will never make any money on the Internet unless you know the fundamentals of mail order marketing because it's the direct sale. But too many people try for the sales, sales, sales. I don't go for sales. I go to build a customer. I have customers with me that have been with me for over 30 years. And that's because you never lie to your customer. You give more than what you said you were going to give. And you always have that customer. Where if you just make a sale, you make a sale. That's it. One time. If you don't well, satisfy their needs, if you don't give them more than what you offered, you're not going to get them back. What about conversions? Because that's a misnomer, too. Somebody says, well, I might have converted at 20%. Well, yeah, well, 20% doesn't tell me anything because you might have lost money at 20%. Um, I think what people need to do, and where the old masters were so good at this, is, A, they knew how many, you know, how many you know, leads it required to get a, you know, opt-in, we'd call it today, and that it may be back in the day, a prospect. And then they do how many prospects it would, you know, take to convert into a client, and then they could figure out how many times that client was going to purchase. And, you know, that goes back 100 years, and that's almost a lost art. Um, I heard a young lady on a James A. Jones seminar the other day. First time I have heard someone actually break it down. This girl's in her 20s. And I thought, leave it to some girl in her 20s to break it down and this is somebody obviously knows her numbers. And because she knows her numbers, she's doing over 40000 a month online. And it's all because of metrics. Like you said, once you get that metrics, once you do that mailing, you mail out you know, 10,000 pieces or whatever it is, a sample that's large enough to test, and you get X amount response, you can roll that baby out to a million. And you're probably going to get, you know, it's what Gary Hubbard did with the coat of arms letter. The old numbers always hold true. Methods never change. It's only the applications. applications. Mail yep. order is a method. Direct sales is a method. Just yes. a method. The application is by mail or by the Internet or even face-to-face. It's all the that's same. That's a medium, method. too. Pardon me? I said that's a medium, too. And I think too many people are confusing mediums with businesses. 
I think there's a oh, big yes, problem definitely. out there. Mail order became a business. It was nothing more than a marketing medium. Then it became a a business unto itself, where mail order marketers were primarily marketing by mail. They different products, different services. Internet marketing has not yet reached that point where it's a separate business. It is strictly a medium. Ban mail order is still a business. It's a method. It's a and then the application, the newest application is the internet. And of course the internet has a brand new application every day. Every day. And it, oh by the way, you wrap yourself and here's the other this is something people they're learning the hard way. You wrap your whole life around Google and then the next day Google slaps you bans your account. Or you wrap yourself around the newest widget uh, to get on ClickBank and stuff, and, that, and, when, and, and unless you learn the fundamentals of why people buy and and offers, I've always said it comes down to the offer. You can have all the bells and whistles you want, and forgive my language, but like Gary Halbert also said, you can't jerk around with the public today. You got to sell them shit they want, and preferably stuff they can't live without. And the offer has to be compelling. And you know, it's kind of like the old cliche: have water. And you can put it on a nasty cardboard sign, but if it's sticking, you know, in the middle of the desert, you're probably going to sell. Well, yeah, that's true. Absolutely true. But remember, the customer is not always right, but the customer is always a customer. You have to satisfy your customers. You have to be brutally honest. Well, you have to be honest with your customers. But beyond that, you have to be brutally honest with yourself. And so many people lie to themselves, you know, they lie to themselves, and then they wonder they why their customers with their own products. don't like it. Do they fall in love with their own products? Is that a problem, too? No, falling in love with your own product is fine and dandy, but will your customers fall in love with it? Right. And that's where testing, and I know you're... I mean, I mean, if I, you know, that one question I asked you, I said, what do you know for sure? And you said, test, test, test. And, you know, a lot of people are too lazy to test, 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 but that's the key to it. How the hell do you oh, know? Oh, yes, that's the key. And a lot, of, a lot of the old timers in the mail order industry went by the theory that you mail out a 5,000-piece test in order mm-hmm. to get your results. I always mailed 500. Wow. If I got there a good response. On 500, and by the way, I didn't go by percentages. A 1% uh, percentage conversion rate or whatever you want to call it. If it was a $20,000 product, might be good enough to be a winner. Yeah, but if it's a $5 product, you probably lost money. Yeah, yeah exactly. Same- but I'm saying that's, that's why I say conversions can be kind of, uh, I get a little leery on conversions. When somebody said, oh, I did 8%, my first question is, my my question is, how much profit did you net? Well, that's it. You see, the old-timers in the game, like myself, unfortunately, the old-timers <laughs> in the game knew that it's not the percentage, it's the dollars. If you mail yep. out 500 and it cost you, well, back then it cost me maybe $50 to put out a 500-piece mailing, it cost me $50 and I got back 200 then I made a profit, whether I had a 1%, a 2%, or a 5% conversion. It's not the percentage, it's the dollars. 
I try to teach people in mail order, look at how many dollars you're pulling in. It's the same thing on the Internet. I mean, uh, I know what my customers are worth to me. I know, well, not exactly, but pretty close to exactly how much. You know your lifetime. You know they're probably, I mean, you've got guys, like you said, I think your buyers, I won't call it a buyer's list because I know some of them are offline people too, but, I mean, if you add it all up, I think you're looking at around 700000 Am I right? Or am I, or am I, I don't give out if, numbers like that because... I thought you had mentioned something like that once that you had you had over seven hundred. Maybe I'm wrong, but I know I had seven hundred thousand customers back in the. I'm uh, sorry, that's yeah, that's that's what I back in the early nineties. Yeah, yeah. On the internet, it's it's a lot smaller market than it is on on mail order because mail order everybody has a post office box. I mean, they get their mail somewhere. Everyone does. The internet only represents about 2% of our economy. Now, that means 98% of our economy is off the Internet. They don't buy on the Internet. Local economy. It's in the local economy, isn't it? Yeah. Pardon me? I said it's in the local economy. It's in the – I mean, you had mentioned that once, and it's so true. Um, Where is the remaining uh, 98%? I know it breaks down to the local economy – um, That's it. Uh, some yeah. some cities like New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Dallas, their economy in that city is greater than all the combined internet economy is. I mean, right. the two because the the internet makes up only about two percent of the sales wow. in this country. The other ninety eight percent are made. You take a look at the mall, walk downtown or go in downtown to the mall and walk around and look at the shops that are open, the people that are shopping. They're spending money right then, right there. And right. how many people are online at that moment buying something? Exactly. No, you make a great point on that. Um, I don't know why this is off the subject. Somebody wanted me to ask you about the fishing lures. I have no idea why. Uh, I must be an avid fisherman. Um, You did some fishing lure sales back in the day, too. I have no idea I'm bringing that out of left field, but somebody, I had a question that popped up about that. Oh, yes, yes. I sold fishing lures and fishing tackle of all kind, primarily to campers, but I didn't sell to the campers direct. I sold to the sporting goods shops. Places that would buy, instead of buying one fishing lure, they would buy a thousand and put them in their inventory. And I was able to find fishing lures that, of course, had been closed out or liquidated by another company and could you could buy them for maybe a tenth of what it would cost you. Right. What do you say to these people say that doesn't work anymore? Because I hear that, oh, you can't, you know, now everything's so globalized that, it's impossible to find deals like that anymore. Uh, oh, I hear that I, all the time. It's it's asinine. Uh, just uh, let, let's say you're interested in selling toys. Right. Just do a search for toys plus closeouts. Hit you the will pound get sign. Okay. Yep. You'll get a ton of closeout people that are people who have closeouts of toys. You can sell, right. and sometimes you can buy them for a penny on the dollar, and then you can right. sell them to any toy shop in town. 
that is selling that kind of toy. People right. just don't understand it, that, hey, our economy is not on the Internet. The Internet is simply a small, very small part of our economy. Right, right, right. I, and and it's a highly leveraged medium. Let me ask you, how hard was it for you? Um, and you remember Mensa, by the way, which is uh, – my grandmother was too. Um, it's – Interesting because I don't know what kind of IQ you have to have to get into that joint, but they didn't invite me. Um, but it means you're fairly sharp. But um, what? And I lost my train of thought. That shows you why I'm probably not in Mensa. But um, how hard was it for you, Jim, to to go make the transition from doing? This is a two-part question, actually. From going primarily doing your your majority of your business offline for all those years, and then all of a sudden waking up one day and, and here's the Internet. At what point did you decide that, okay, i got to jump on this thing to a degree? Well, I you've been online a while. I kept asking the question of Internet marketers, where do I get a haircut online? None of them could answer me. But actually, it started in 1999. Well, actually, yeah, early part of 99. My readers in my paper and ink newsletters, and by the way, I was ranked as one of the top 25 in the world back then. <clears throat> but my customers kept asking me, where can we find you online? And so I looked at all of the material. I bought a book, uh, uh, Webmastering for Dummies and another one, Webmastering for Children, and read those books cover to cover, found out how to do it, and figured out how I could put up a website and all of that. Um, I wanted the uh, the uh, oh, domain name of Business School, but Business School had been taken. I ended up with mm -hmm. Business Lyceum, which, of course, is Aristotle's Lyceum, I didn't know what the hell that word meant, by the way, but thank you for telling me. Yeah, well, it's a it was a school Hard that Aristotle <laughs> taught under the trees in Rome or someplace. I see anyway, the, girl, the, the Korean girl in front of me, so I probably missed that section. I, I like the site name because it's hard to forget. <laughs> so I put, I put up the website as strictly as a catalog of my materials. Right. And that, of course, uh, when I start any kind of business, I always added a newsletter to it so that the people would, I'd be able to keep in touch with my customers and all of that. I set the website up in September of 1999. By January of 2000, I was in the profit, making a profit, been making a profit off that website ever since. And people call it the ugliest website in the world because I don't have any pictures, I don't have any flashing signs or bells and or whistles. And the font is funky, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of things. And yeah, I love, I'm the one actually, I don't think anybody had the balls to come right out and say it. I just said, hey, Jim, let's talk about the world's ugliest website. And I was being facetious because it's like I was talking to McLeod about this. These young, and I'll call them young punks, some of them. These young punks that have probably not made two nickels um, want to criticize the site, and they have no clue uh, either who you are or how much you've made. Because, folks, we're talking 
400 million dollars that's not 4 million that's not 40 that's a lot of that is a lot of bling that is a serious amount of change and granted it's over a period of time but my point is how many marketers even last 50 years i mean uh, uh and keep the reputation intact um it's amazing um let me ask you this talk about you know cuz again it was a few years ago. I don't know if it was, I don't want to get the guy's name wrong. Maybe it was Reese, one of them. It was a big, big, big deal because one a guy came out and did a million dollars in 24 hours. I and that's impressive, no doubt about it. But it's like you know, once a guy around the four minute mile, it seemed like the next year everybody could do it. Um, I'm not saying it's easy, but he also, you know, it involved a lot of affiliates and a lot of other people, and it involved a highly leveraged medium. You made a million dollars in less than 30 days years ago when the million was probably worth far more than it is today. Can you just run us through that a little bit? Because I want to explain to people a little bit of the difference between what you did and and maybe they'll have a little bit of newfound respect for that accomplishment because uh, that that particular that particular deal was was pretty remarkable uh, when you break it down. If you want to get into, I mean, you just want to just, I mean, that was basically a million dollars within less than a month. Well, actually, it was more like two million, but I hadn't had the industrial appraisal done until after I wrote the report. It was Mm -hmm. the industrial appraisal came back over two million. I was look, I was in a little business as kind of a partner investor in it, and I didn't like what was going on with my partner and the investment. And so I began looking for something like it. And I was in a store one day, and the owner of the store was talking. He said, well, you know, there's a old company up, and he told me where it was. He said they mm-hmm. went bankrupt or something, and, you know, the business is just sitting there, but the building is filled with equipment. So I went up and took a look at it. It was over 42,000 square feet, had uh, all of the equipment, machinery, and everything else in the building. So I contacted the uh, bankruptcy court and got a hold of the uh, bankruptcy representative. And he said that it had been closed up for like three or four years. And, you know, he was going to hold an auction on it uh, the next weekend. Right. And I said, well, I'll, I'll, what do you take for the whole thing? And he said, well, we got uh, about $80,000 outstanding. So I said, all right, I'll, I'll give you the 80000 Well, they, he still had to help have the auction because it was already publicized, but he bid it in at 80000 Well, nobody right. bid against me. So I bought the whole shooting match for eighty grand. I, as I finished buying the property, signing the papers, giving them the check and everything, a couple other guys came up to me and offered me 15000 for that, 20000 for this, 15000 for that, over $50,000 the first 15 minutes after I bought the company. Wow. And it was just strictly, of course, I tell the whole story in the right. snooping around port. It's, uh, and I didn't want to get into all the details, but you ended up, I mean, I mean, that's just amazing. And what time frame are we talking about there, Jim? Oh, about 30 to 60 days, all told. No, I meant the uh, time period where it says it's 80s, the uh, the big 80s, the seven, uh, 90s. Uh, I'm just trying to put the time frame together on that. 
Oh, let's see. That would have been about 87, 88, somewhere along there. Okay. Wow. And, I mean, that it, it's, it's just amazing. Um, you made a comment. I don't ever disagree with you on anything. And I actually am going to come out and say I disagree with you on one thing. Um, you said if you had to do it all over again, you would do affiliate marketing. And I thought about that for a while, and – it, and maybe it's just because I'm a fan of yours and I've learned so much from you, but I'd be disingenuous, I guess, of me to uh, say something that I didn't feel was exactly 100% correct. I think in a lot of ways the reason you're as successful as you are on the affiliate end of things is because of the fact you do have the heavyweight reputation. Uh, with that said, and I think, think – to a degree, you would agree with that a little bit. Um, Jim Straw carries some weight that other people don't. Um, right. Do you, with that said, do you still recommend affiliate marketing as the, the, the way for, I mean, like, let's talk about a beginner, a complete newbie out there. Where do they start? I, I always direct them to start with the masters, you know, like, you know, I, the Claude Hopkins. Learn your history a little bit. Um, and believe me, it's not as boring. A lot of people think, oh, God, i got to read about a guy selling back. And you'll find it's some of the most fascinating reading in the world. But, you know, what, what if you had to point somebody in a direction um, that's just starting out, besides buying your stuff, of course, but what, what, where, would you, where would you point them? Who's the most beautiful woman in the world? Is the one of the eye of the beholder. <laughs> That's it. And it's the That's same thing answer. with most people know really what kind of business they want to be in. Choose that business. Einstein said you can be a genius if you study one subject 15 minutes a day. Yep. So it's the whole thing is pick something, anything. I don't care what it is, and I don't care whose book you read about it. Because even the poorest of the material, the worst of the worst, can instill in someone the idea of doing it. What you have to right. do is have someone say, do this, and go do it. And, as, and strictly, it's who's the most beautiful woman. It's who's looking. And it depends on entirely who's looking. It's totally, totally subjective. So you're starting out on a foundation of it's best to probably start with your passion. Um, and I tend to agree with that. I mean, I wouldn't want to start something I absolutely loathe. However, I also am not sure um, I would want to start a business based on a book on why bumblebees bumbled either because there might not be a market for it. Is there a fine line between your passion and actually people out there who, who share your interests? Oh, I mean, do you yes. have to weigh the two? Always. Always. Okay. Find out if other people. I opened a, a shop one time simply because there wasn't one within 100 miles, and everybody I talked to seemed to think, hey, that's, you know, we need one. But guess what? Didn't have any customers for the simple reason they were driving 100 miles away in order to get what they wanted. They were doing that on a regular basis, so they didn't need a shop right there in that town. 
And that's education, and that's one of the things I got from you too. You're gonna get, you're gonna book some losers, um, but you know, I'll like them to get cliche on you. Uh, you use the Einstein quote, but you know, Edison did the light bulb, whatever it was, ten thousand times, and he he spun it differently. It wasn't failures; it was ten thousand ways it didn't work. And yeah, he, um, he learned ten thousand ways it didn't work. Exactly. Hey, look. Then I can count my successes on my fingers and toes. All right. Mm-hmm. But if right. I start counting my mistakes and errors and failures, I'll have to use all the hair on my chest. And that's one of the reasons why I, I you know, I I don't use this show as a pitch show, I and mean, very very seldom. But I, I've had people. I mean, I think Kathleen and Aaron Harrison, who just you you send out emails someday. Some days that are just the perfect thing to read, like when the pendulum swings. Um, oh, yes. The one that got you huh, in a little trouble. By the way, um, you go back, how long do you, how, when did you, did, have you ever met and seen Alan Says before, or have you spoke to him before? I've had that well, Alan Says was one of my uh, paper and ink subscribers many years ago. Okay, so he is real, people. Okay. Oh, yes, <laughs> he's always, real. We. Yeah, well, that's just an inside joke. I was just curious. Um, I know I'm going to send this show to Alan, and uh, he uh, apparently has a relationship with a lovely young lady. I made the mistake of saying prenup, and she said she hated me. So I'll uh, keep my yap shut next time. But um, I, I, it, the thing I, about your material is that it's based on stuff you've done. One thing I just cannot stand it's probably why I don't put much stuff out, and I always say, unless I get real smart about a new subject, I won't, um, is that it's all based on stuff you did. And well, most most of the writers out there, unfortunately, see, back in the mail order day, I think one of the first book out was How I Made a Million Dollars in Mail Order by Joe Cosby. Mail order. Yep. Right. And, of course, at that time, his was the only book out there. Then every copycat writer in the world, every research writer, began writing books on how to make a million dollars in mail order. Headline. And so, you know, and then all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, but over time, the market got divided smaller and smaller and smaller until those who wrote those books on how to make a million dollars in mail order had never done it, so they really, their customers left them because it was garbage, and there were so many other competing products out there. And Joe Kosman survived, of course, because his mm-hmm. book was the facts. I got a great video I'll try to send you on Joe Kosman where it's actually a video where he talks about, he, he actually talked about the ant farm and some of the licensing and some very fascinating things I thought you'd enjoy. Um, and I just actually came across it the other day. I figured out how the hell to send it to you, but I'll get it to you. I've got a copy of his video uh, that he had on television for quite some time yeah. selling his course. And unfortunately, Joe got so fed up with the people that were buying it, he quit running the commercial. I that's too funny. Um, I was going to tell you, I always kind of liked because when I was young, my my thing was screw the business. I want the million bucks. 
I want to sit under a palm tree and pay hot babes $20 to tell me they love me while I'm sipping a frozen margarita. You know, that was, that was my dream. Um, things have changed a little bit since then. But um, the interesting thing about um, the one guy I always kind of loved, I, I don't want to call him one-hit wonder because I know he had other products, but Joe Carvo's Lazy Man's Way to Riches, I remember being like 9 or 10 years old, back when you could run full-page ads in newspapers cost-effectively, and often on a PI. For those who don't know, that's per inquiry. Once you had to prove an ad, uh, the paper would run it for free in exchange for a piece of the action. Um, by the way, that can still be done today, people, with radio stations, if you know how to do it. Um, there is a trick to that, but it's another story. But, you know, Joe, I don't know if you had any dealings with Joe, but I thought that was rather cool. Joe made that, you know, that book um, and became a millionaire, and I don't really recall a huge body of work. Well, no, actually, uh, Joe Carbo wrote the ad. He wrote the ad down and took it over to Don Perry at Money Making Opportunities magazine. Really? And he and Don set it up as a full page and said, "Here, let's let's try this. Lazy man's way to riches with a man in a hammock, you know." So yeah. he ran the ad for Joe. Well, Joe started getting this damn post office box filled with ten dollar orders. <laughs> he had not even started writing a book. He had to sit down and write the book. <laughs> So they wrote the book after the orders came in, which, you know, which, by the way, I often wondered why I used to read, and it used to drive Gary Halbert crazy, why it says four to six weeks for delivery. And I think the answer really was is people were testing, and if they had a winner, then they went to press. Um, oh, yeah, I, the FDC has put a stop to that many, many years ago after yeah, Joe Garbo's yeah. success. But uh, Joe had other successes. He had, see, before, people don't realize, before Joe wrote his Lazy Man's Way to Riches book and made all the money, he was a mail-order marketer. You've seen the ads in the back of comic books with a guy looking through yep. the door? Well, that oh, was Joe, that's Joe's that. original ad. He bought a closeout lot of door uh, door. People, yeah, yeah, he wrote about actually it's mentioned in the book, believe it or not. They were and he didn't they didn't know quite what to do with them and they there was a weird gizmo at the time and it turned into being I believe one of the first peepholes, uh, you know, where people could look out and see who's knocking on their door, am I correct? Oh yeah, he bought them for like a dime a piece and sold them for yep. 2 or 3 dollars, so he made a heck of a profit on those. But then he wrote the book Lazy Man's Way to Riches and made a fortune off of it. And and got and, and I'm going to tell you something. This might make you sick, but you and I, and God, I got to get up there. But um, I went to Amazon because I love the book. And of course, when I moved, I lost my copy. Went to Amazon.com and I punched in George W. Haling's Lifetime of Homework, um, his autobiography, self-published. Uh, one copy used for $525 is up there. That's it. Lord. And you have a, from what I understand, a box. And the reason I mention this is because the gentleman who actually bought the rights out of that book is selling it as an e-book. And I like the guy. He's got a, a real passion and love for Joe. Uh, I mean, uh, George. George actually lived on two hundred dollars a year out of a tent for two years, oh, and yeah. did mail order. 
And yep. you have a lot of his original material. And when I told you that, I thought you were going to have the big one on me because I'm guessing that's worth, I mean, that's priceless. That's history. That's, I mean, I love that book so much because this guy literally, guys, lived in a tent. Um, I believe he had $200, and this is back, I don't know, 20s, 30s, or whatever. And it got to the point where he got so big that all he had to do is put carbo, not carbo, um, his uh, hailings, and the postman would deliver the mail. Oh, yeah. He didn't even have, yeah, I mean, and what, didn't he at the end of his life ask you to help him? Uh, Did he George ask you to help him out? Back, oh, back in the 80s, and he wanted me to republish a lot of his material. So he sent me a big box filled with all of the back issues of his newsletter, plus copies of his book, books and all of that. And it's somewhere back in my archives. I'll have to find it one of these days, I guess. Well, we're, we got to find it, and I promise I'll come through the front door and not the back door. Well, um, I'll hide all the valuables. No, I don't want the valuables, but I would love, I mean, it would be a dream come true just to be able to see um, I didn't even know George W. Haling had a newsletter. Um, I knew about um, the coins. I knew he was into the coins and stuff. And there are some books you can still get. But I read that book, and it was um, – he was a little bit involved in the movies. And I know one of your clients. Who is – you've got Sam. I, I, he's got an uh, Italian last name, and I can never pronounce that. Longoria or um, – you know, Sam Longoria. He's a producer. He's out in – and then one of my uh, subscribers is a uh, uh, Harlem Globetrotter, which uh, and uh, just all kind of weird people. The, the Globetrotters—they just did a documentary on them, and it was—it fa- was one of the most fascinating things I'd ever seen. Um, it was—it was very interesting. Um, that's where you brought up, um, and I'll just tell people because I'm gonna—I'm gonna rip the line off as a—I don't know if you call it a subhead or whatever. But I know you said you mentioned you had someone you knew, a son or maybe a friend, that was looking to get into acting and stuff. But as we know, and I was the same way, I used, I used to always think my grandpa was crazy when he'd tell me, uh, you know, don't wear grandpa's $15,000 Rolex watch down the strip of Vegas while I'm taking a nap because somebody might slit your throat. And I thought, right. oh, yeah, he's paranoid. Well, now as I look back, I said, boy, the old man was lost today. You know, now now I wouldn't walk down to Vegas wearing any piece of jewelry because he, he was right. Here I am about 15, and I got this $15,000 Rolex presidential dangling off my hand and about every broke sucker looking at me like a piece of bait. But um, you made the comment it was so true. And I'm going to start it out. When, when this new WSO hits, which is going to be a service again, um, it is not what you know, it is not who you know, it is, in fact, who knows you. And if you really let that sink in, it is contrarian and brilliant. Well, take, take a look at movie actors. A movie mm-hmm. actor can be an actor all his life and never get more than bit parts. But once he gets known by the viewers, by the people watching the movies, then he gets bigger roles and bigger roles. It's because once he is known, he's box office. That means 
people go to see him. It's the same thing in any business. It's not who you know. It's not what you know. It's who knows you. And exactly. most people, most people hide behind pseudonyms and post mm-hmm. office boxes. I, I've used post office boxes, yes, but I've also yeah. included my street address in materials so that the people would know where they could find me. And people say, "Well, aren't you afraid they'll come?" And no, because I'm not afraid of any of my customers. No. I don't have to. I haven't lied to them. I've told them nothing but the truth. So if they come to see me, they don't frighten me at all. As a matter of fact, I you'll welcome see, them and make them a the cup of coffee. On them too. You guys, I heard your cat. You'll stick the two cats on them too. That's right. <laughs> I love. I got. It. I got a pair of <laughs> twin black cats born the same yep. day. They're my. I got the I got the meanest cat in the world. My little niece, Sky, said, Uncle Vinny, I'd really like a kitty. So the vet, local vet, says, well, we got 21. Well, unfortunately, I didn't get down there for a couple days. And when I got there, there was only one left. And there was a reason there was only one left. The meanest little shit that ever walked the face of the earth. She's still famous. And she's about eight years old. You'd think a cat living in a seafood restaurant would be happy. But uh, we love her. And uh, right now she's about to uh, attack a uh, a moth or something that uh, looks good because she's in pounce mode. But uh, I, I'm telling you, the uh, the the George Haling stuff. I, I mean, I would salivate. I, I I would literally sit on your floor for hours just looking at that. I thought, what an incredible story to literally. If people, if, if the book is called Lifetime of Homer, it's, I don't need, it's almost hard to find. I'm probably going to put you in touch with the guy who actually got the legitimate rights to the book because I guarantee you he doesn't have the rest of the stuff you do. And um, it's amazing. I, 500, I, I mean, it's just like when I had my Ted Warren stock books. And I lost, you know, and now, you know, those are going for 50 to 125 or more, um, you know, because when that, that book by Ted Warren was originally published, it was suppressed. It literally was bought up, and they kept it off the market. And then Kim Roberts came around and bought the rights. But it still goes for a lot. So um, I, I, I just think, George, uh, that, that's fascinating. I, I wasn't aware you had newsletters at all, Jim. That's very, very cool. Do you have any other big-time marketers? Uh, I mean, you must have a lot. I would love to see your library. I mean, well, you I, got I've got all of uh, Joe Carbo's old uh, Society of Partners newsletters. Now, Joe and I were discussing a, oh. a joint venture, uh, his Society of Partners and my American Business Club, uh, and – Three weeks before he died, we had made arrangements to meet in Las Vegas to put together a deal, a joint venture on the two, and unfortunately Joe went before we could get together even. And you know what's sad is I walk, I was in a lot of pain. On, I don't know if you noticed there towards the end, but uh, it's sad because I'm 42, and uh, hey. I, the and 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 I'm walking, yeah, I'm walking slower than Jim. You are in pretty good shape. And, uh, um, it, yeah, we're walking to lunch, and unfortunately when the, when the weather gets cold, the legs start doing, you know, they start saying, I ain't got nothing to do with it. One wants to go left, one wants to go right. And uh, as always, I always like to say hi to James Jones. 
because the guy has done a lot to help me, and I just, you know, your friend Michael Penlin, I guess I was talking too loud because I got a lot of shh. Did he ever get the guy off the stage? He was trying to get off the stage. <laughs> I'm not yeah, he say finally who. got off the stage, and I'm afraid I got a little bit upset with him, so... Well, same guy I got upset with, and I told James why. I thought I'm shocked at some of the advice that was given there. Um, but I am really glad that you come out. I heard you and James kicked ass. Um, that's the word I got. And um, I'm glad it was you two. And, um, you know, James Jones is another guy. There, there's just a handful. He's picky. He doesn't push anything uh, just to make a buck, he's got a big list that's very receptive, and he does a lot of the same tactics you do. And the other thing that I thought was cool, a little story that Vinny broke, and if you guys missed it, I talked to you on that last interview about a certain guy who at the time was from Macon, Georgia, who wrote you on his 30th birthday to tell you that he had made $30,000 with an information product that you had sold him on options. And for those of you who did not see that YouTube video, that gentleman's name is Frank Kern, as in Mass Control, Frank Kern. And I got, by the way, a Facebook request from Trey, his cousin, who who had one word. It just said, awesome, thank you. <laughs> Maybe for uh, yeah, I mean, so him. Yeah. He's quite a character. Yeah, I mean, that, I thought that was pretty, uh, I thought that was very, very cool. Um you know, it's just um, the legacy alone. I, I've always said this. It's hard enough to last 50 years and go through all the changes and teach yourself all this stuff. I mean, I, I mean, I, I can barely – you say you're tech, you know, I mean, like when your Mac crashed or whatever. I mean, I'm, I, I didn't get – I didn't get online. I couldn't put an autoresponder in if you if you paid me money. But you lasted 50 – I want people to really understand this – 50 years, people, $400 million. Days. It's a couple days. That, I mean, it, but it's a legacy. And the thing about it is I think it's not the money and it's not even the longevity. And this isn't me ass-kissing. It's, it's the truth because how many people last that long and have the respect of their peers like you do? I And, and, I'll, and again, I'll brag for you because I, I – have not heard one marketer who's successful that's worth a shit and knows the game that has ever had a bad thing to say about you. And over 50 years and and 400 million dollars plus later, I'm not sure there's anybody in your league. And you know, it, it's it's something that people need to take advantage of, and you can do it. By simply going, oh, by the way, did you notice Vinny got you on the first page of Google with that little video? Uh, oh, yeah. You, yeah, I, 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 there are a few tricks I can do. Um, you didn't have a video up there, so <laughs> I did get you up there. I put, James, actually, it's funny, I put out a product, and I was honest. I said, I don't even know how it works, but it works. And uh, I told James I could get him on Google page one in, like, I don't know, a couple hours. Well, I couldn't. It took 24 hours. That was almost eight or nine months ago, and if you punch in James J. Jones, there must be two million zillion of them in various combinations. He's still up there, I believe, on the first page at number five. So, so you know, so I, the guy asked me, well, how does it work? And I had to give him my honest answer. I don't know. 
I just know it does, and this is what I do. But um, I, I think it's a hell of a legacy you've left behind for her. It all goes back to my basic philosophy of life and business. I have it written on a yellowing piece of paper here in the top drawer of my desk. What is it's it say? Bar- I don't know where it came from. I don't know who said it for sure. A lot of people okay. have told me people have said it. But I have written on a piece of paper, let him who would be great among you be servant to all. And I have lived my life in service to my customers because they are my greatest asset. And your country as well, Jim, um, I, which we all appreciate. Uh the, <laughs> A lot of people don't know that you were maybe the world's oldest living veteran at one time. <laughs> no, not, not that old. <laughs> well, 46, you get cruise. It was, uh, I was a pretty, I told my dad, my uncles and every, everybody about that. They got a good chuckle over that. Um, but, uh, you know, when you email Jim, unless it's me, I get, I, you know, uh, what, what is your word for me? Long-winded? Yeah. Uh, yes. But Jim answers. Jim had a heart attack and answered friggin' emails from the bed. Um, he doesn't look at his list, and this is one thing I try to tell people: they're they're human beings. They don't want to be referred to as clicks and lists and this and that. Um, you have established rapport. I mean, I have Phil Camacho, who I know. God, I wish I knew his number. I put him on. He's probably one of your biggest fans. Um, I, I the, and I'm sorry, people. The switchboard is so jammed; it's froze. I can't even pull calls up here. I've tried. I've looked for numbers. Um, this guy just reveres you, and he said, uh, "You know, I've been buying from Jim for well over 35 years." And you, you, I don't know a marketer. I, I don't think I can write a modern marketer today. And you know what I'm going to end up with? I'm going to get a virtual assistant. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a voicemail. I'm gonna get something, but you, you know, other than Sunday, and we're all entitled to take a day. Um, you're there, and and you get it. And and I know, like when your Mac went down, it was down for a week or something. You literally had to wade through five, six, I don't know, six or seven thousand emails, but you went through them all. Oh yeah, and I just yeah, don't see that anymore. My customers are my most valuable asset. They have always been my most valuable asset. I've never been afraid to talk to my customers on the phone back when I could use the phone easily. And now when I get emails from my customers, I respond. Even if it's just I don't know, I respond and tell them that I don't know. Which doesn't have to be. Wait a minute, you can't stop the old master. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't know? I've never heard that come out of your mouth. (laughs) Well, every once in a while there's something that comes up that I don't know. But guess what? I spend the time and find out. That's the difference. That's the point I was about to make. You find out. And and you know what? Most people wouldn't care. Most people wouldn't bother. That's right, because they don't value their customers. Exactly. And, And I'm not sure, Jim, anybody... I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. Sadly, and I'll put myself in this, I, I do my best, but I'm not sure there will ever be anyone who values their customers like you. I'm not sure that that breed even exists anymore. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe in some brick-and-mortar businesses, but as far as the online world, I don't believe um, there. 
you know, they're all into the four-hour work week. They're into the virtual assistants. They're in into voicemails. They're into blasting faxes. And, and I understand all that, you know, leverage your time in this and that. And, and some of that makes sense. But if you want to last 50 years, um, one of the ways you do it isn't some virtual assistant from, you know, the Philippines. It's the man himself answering your question. And I guess it just depends on what you want to do. And you can say whatever you want about, oh, I'm not sitting there answering these emails when I can get somebody in China to do it or whoever. But you do do it. And I'm just saying here, I'm not going to judge people who do, um, you know, at all. But I think people's success, as they say, leaves clues. And after 50 years, I think one of the, the, the keys to your success is not only the quality of your information, which is not sexy, but if you follow it, it will work. And the fact that you literally, people look at you like a friend. I mean, you've got thousands of people on your list. And when you come out with something and put your thumbs up, it, it carries a lot of weight. And, um, you know, and that's called integrity. And I don't know if I or anyone has that kind of integrity out there. Um, I think that's probably the biggest compliment I could give you. Not the products, not the money, but, but the sheer integrity. Um, I don't think I've met many men uh, other than maybe my own father, you know, um, and maybe one or two other people that, that have that. And I, I really, truly mean that. I, I, don't, uh, I, I don't pull punches on this show. If you've ever heard some of my early stuff, uh, this is not the way Vegas Vince usually talks, but I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Uh, this has meant a lot to me. Uh, this will be something that I will treasure for always. And I, I, it's hard to cover 50 years. But uh, you've done it online, you've done it offline. But once again, it, um, guys, it's real simple. There's no pitch here. Just business lyceum, L-Y-C-E-U-M dot com. Get on Jim's list. You will get some free emails that will brighten your day and change the way you look at life. I, I, I had a lady write me and said, thank you so much. I needed that email today. Uh, that's something my grandfather would have told me. And it made everything better. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that maybe when it's all said and done, it's not the money, it's not the toys, um, you know, because uh, we're not taking any of that with us. I think it comes down to your legacy. And uh, I'm going to let you close it out because uh, I don't know what else I can honestly say. Um, uh, you know, uh, I'm not trying to embarrass you or anything, but uh, – you're just one of the. You're one of the two. As I say, the last of the Mohicans, brother, and I, I, I have appreciated uh, all the help you provided me. Um, and you tell it like it is. You just happen to do it in a classier manner than I do, and with better English. Oh shucks. Oh, I didn't. I, I, I hope I didn't make you cry. No, I mean oh, truly. I, it, I pull my britches on the same way as you do. And, you know, it, yep. it, what gets me is people who are gurus who are so important, they're self-important. Me, I'm not important. I'm just another guy doing what I do, and I do it damn well. Like uh, Liberace used to say, they'd ask him, well, how do you play the piano with all those rings on? And he used to tell them, very well, thank you. 
Hey, did you used to play the rumor, or do we can get just into some fun stuff? Where you, I know you're a radio announcer. Uh, did you play the trumpet, or you played some sort of instrument? I, I, uh-huh. played the, I played in backup bands for a number of notables. I went to Hawaii with my wife right after our first grandson was born, and Don Ho's show was there at the Hilton where we stayed, and we went down to see the show. And he called for all the grandmothers to come up on stage. And I told her, hey, you've got to get up there because, you know, we just had a grandson. You're a grandmother now. So all right. the grandmothers got up there, and he kissed each one of them on the cheek and had a picture taken. And he told he told them, bring those pictures back after the show, and I'll autograph them for you. So we went back and stood in line waiting for his signature on that picture of him and my wife's. And I come up to the door. He was with a couple signing their picture. And he looked over in the doorway. He says, hey, man, you still play trumpet? <laughs> come to find out Don Ho had a phenomenal memory for everyone who ever worked with him in any way. And I had played in a backup band with Don Ho while he was on the road. And so he remembered me. Of course, I told him I was going to use that picture and, File him as a correspondent in the divorce case. <laughs> I hey, got a laugh out of it. That's interesting. We were down to 90 seconds, which just sucks, and the time went fast. Guys, businesslyceum.com. And, uh, Jim, uh, what can I say? Um, uh, it, it's been an honor, and I'm, I'm going to be in touch with you. Um, it's pretty sad when somebody 42 has to have somebody, um, <laughs> how do I put this, make the PayPal button. But uh, I'm going to shoot that over, and, uh, you know, you're the best. And uh, I want to say thank you. I know you don't do these. I'm not sure if you've done one of these in years. And, uh, again, you, um, I'm going to close it out by saying thank you and my famous closeout, because I don't know how many of these shows I'll be doing. And um, I appreciate it very much. And with that, I wish everybody out there well. May you live to see the dawn. May all your dreams come true. May you always remain forever young. And, Jim, I hope you live to be another 100 years, brother. Uh, I mean it. And go ahead and give us us your catchphrase. we got to hear it. Keep well. Thank you, Jim. It was a true honor. Thank you, everybody. Good night. I'll be in touch with you in the morning, Jim. Very good. Peace.